0: I Brain Map by Rita McInnes Part 1. Tracking Brains in the Wild Chapter 1. Meeting My Yellow-Eyed Wolf The seeds for this book grew out of my counselling practice as a psychologist, but my passion and commitment for working with people, experiencing the impact of trauma and overwhelm, came from my own experience. Three significant events have shaped my life and the way I work. While other traumas, sorrows, joys, successes and relationships have affected me profoundly, these three experiences underpin my dedication to this work. I will describe these stories for you as if they are happening now, as frozen memories of the events, because that's the way we tend to experience memories of traumatic and overwhelming events. I invite you in close to my direct experience. First story Meeting the Wolf with Yellow Eyes. My first indelible experience of trauma came a month before my 18th birthday. My older brother Mark was killed in a car accident. The raw edges and sharp outline of that time pressed into the deepest terrain of my mind and body and lived in me like a tormented beast in a dungeon. Here is my frozen memory of what happened. It's June, midwinter. I am 17. I sleep a dreamless sleep until some sense of urgency pierces through my slumber, dragging me into that dread. I wake and listen as the night holds its breath. Then I hear hushed voices through the walls. Rubbing my eyes, I pull on my red dressing gown and stumble out along the hallway towards the light. When I slip through the crack of doorway and into the kitchen, the hard fluorescent light stuns me. Four faces look up. The picture has no context and everything is strange, even the faces of my parents. My brain stumbles and my eyes blink. Words crack the silence between us. A stinging slap from reality that wakes me fully. There's been an accident. My breath holds itself like a frozen bird far inside the hollow of my chest, waiting. One of the vaguely familiar strangers, a teacher from the high school, speaks into my thick fog of confusion. The car rolled. Mark was in the back seat. Thrown from the car. Stayed till the ambulance arrived. They won't tell us anything over the phone. We'll have to go to the hospital, says Mum. The words are coming at me through thick glass, as if I'm watching a movie through a shop window. It feels as if the warmth inside me slips away with every word. Then suddenly all the people are gone, out the door and into the night, and I stand alone staring at the door that slams shut behind them. The friendly strangers are driving mum and dad to the hospital in Griffith, an hour away. I have to stay home in case my younger brother Jim, still sleeping his innocence in the far bedroom, wakes. This is the longest night, waiting. The cold night watches me. I light the fire in the kitchen to push back the chill at the window. Stepping out into the dark to fill the wheelbarrow with wood, I look up into the big night sky. Stars blink and wink, mocking my small misery. Is God up there watching me in his all's well with the world heaven, I wonder? But I have to look away, filled with doubt. I stare at my feet walking, park the wheelbarrow at the back door and go inside, slamming the door, startling the still night. There is no response, no one and nothing stirs. Down the hallway, when I peek through the door into Jim's bedroom, I can see the halo of his blonde curls peeping out from the nestled bedclothes. For a moment, I stand and listen, trying to hear him breathe before I walk back to the kitchen and put more wood on the fire. The long moments are filled with busy nothings. I make a pot of tea, pressing myself into each moment slow and mindful. I watch my hand take the milk from the fridge, then pour the tea. I stare at the dark amber liquid and hear the sound it makes as it fills the cup. My hand stirs slowly. I press the hot liquid to my lips to taste the comfort of familiar ritual and almost relax. Then I sniff the horror of fear at my elbow, so I grab a magazine and find a crossword. My mind bends to the words, focusing hard on the tiny squares. On the shelf I find a dictionary and fascinate myself with words beginning with M, then S, then P. So many fascinating words. When the crossword is done, I read my novel for school, Heart of Darkness, but the words slip and slide and can't hold me. And truth creeps into the silent waiting night coming at me like a coal-black train. But I keep my mind pinned to the page, trying to ignore what's coming. The clock watches overhead. Time slows to eternity and each heartbeat holds a lifetime of questions, a bleak wondering, wanting to know and not wanting to know. Time melts my strange dream, each tick tolling a bell and peeling back the layers of my small humanity. When everything else is gone, I pray. I bend my knees, bow my head and stare down at the fine golden threads crisscrossing the white linoleum on the floor. There are tiny black spots where embers have leapt from the fire. There's a row of breadcrumbs along the skirting board under the sink. I pray to the God of my childhood, the guy with the long white beard and white robes who hasn't spoken to me since I was 15 and took up the hem of my skirt. At sixteen, I pulled down the blind on God's eye that glared down at me while I wriggled and writhed in the back seat of a dark car, with hard breath and hands and lips probing soft pink flesh under thin cotton. I call out to that God that I've abandoned. I hang my head and pray into the silence. Terror scratches at the window and I'm a four-year-old again. My body trembles as I sense the wolf at the door who wants to come in. His yellow eyes stare in at me. Don't look up. Keep your head down. And maybe he won't see you, I whisper to my quivering heart. I can smell him, the wolf with the yellow eyes and foul breath. I can smell him coming for me, but I won't look up. I won't look into his face. I go back to reading the same page again and again. We live as we dream, alone. I wait. There's not a sound in the world save the gentle crackle of the fire. I am the only one. The only one. The wolf comes so close I can see my reflection in his yellow eyes and the terror creeps in and fills my belly with rats, ferocious rats that nibble on my insides and eat my loveliness away. This day comes quietly with all the beasts of terror sniffing, their padded footsteps creeping closer, coming to eat me alive. With dread I look over my shoulder, but all is still, frozen. I'm in a child's game and turn to move forward. Again I hear the shuffle of soft feet and the sharp intake of breath. I turn quick. What's the time, Mr Wolf? But all is quiet and still behind me. I dare the beast half turning. Ha! But nothing is there. Only the empty chair, the painting of the man at the plough. The table scattered with newspapers, the phone silent and waiting. It all looks still, but I can hear them breathing. And then he comes. Not a pounce, but a slow circling. There's a car outside, on the road. I pull back the white lace curtain and stare out the window into the blackness at two beams of headlights. Mark's ute. Mark's ute? It's parked on the road just in front of the driveway. I'm at the window, watching, waiting, My mind cracks and bends. What's he doing? Who is it? Is it Mark? Is he all right? I want to scream the madness in me and let it all out. But I stand at the window and look out into the night, silent. Bile burns my throat and I swallow. My body trembles like a dry leaf in a chill wind. My knees buckle. What's happening? Stop this. Stop but the hard night won't let me scream my words and I swallow down the bitter taste of silence. I kneel at the sill like a four-year-old waiting for her big brother to come home from school. The madness of waiting closes in around me. The ute moves slowly, turning into the driveway and parks. The engine is silenced. I grip the window ledge to pull myself up because my knees still tremble like leaves with no bones. I go to the door and stand waiting. There's a soft knock. The terror of what's on the other side is nothing compared to this agony of waiting, so I open the door. It's one of the familiar strangers who were in the kitchen. I stare at him and then out at Mark's ute, parked in the yard. I saw you at the window, he says. I was waiting till your parents got here first. I brought Mark's ute. He stumbles for words. What happened? Is he okay? What? My own words can't find themselves and fall flat in the silence between us. Wait till your parents get here. Wait till your parents get here. They need to tell you. The man steps out of the night and in through the door, turning to close it gently. My sobbing begins and my body collapses around me. The man catches and holds me against him. Strange sounds come out of me. I want to say something, but a wailing sound comes out instead. The wolf howls inside me. Then the stranger says the words that end the waiting. Mark died at the scene. He rocks me until I am still. The slow dawn comes like sour milk spilt across the horizon. The truth fills the frozen morning while the beasts sniff and breathe foully around the kitchen. My brother, not yet 21, lies dead and cold in the hospital. My parents return and stand in a huddle under the fluorescent lighting, like two small children on a stage in the wrong play. I stare at my parents' tears with fascination, my own tears already dried and sucked back into my belly. The thin thread that had held me to normal has snapped, and I float overhead watching down from a great height. It's time to make a pot of tea, so I bustle and step around the dead rat lying at the sink. The wolf with the yellow eyes licks my face when I take the milk from the fridge. It tickles, and I smile and wipe away the slimy stink clinging to my lips. The rooms fill with weeping and warm casseroles. I walk through them between beasts and neighbours like a somnambulist. No one can see me. No one can hear me coming. I am invisible. Only the ferocious rats and the wolf with yellow eyes know me. They lie down with me at night, foul breath and itchy hide, close and warm. Three days after the funeral I'm back at boarding school. No one mentions death. I am invisible here too but I know they all watch me out of the corner of their eyes. My friends don't know what to say to me. They tiptoe around me, watching from a distance, not laughing too loudly or sharing their small concerns of boyfriends and lumpy thighs and zits and untamed hair that had been the mainstay of our friendship. I am alone with my beasts. The ferocious rat has a wicked sense of humour, and the yellow-eyed wolf a hunger for love that keeps him prowling the edges. I suck them into me and let them fill me. I am the beast. I learn to smile back at the world and hold in the dread in my belly. I am nearly eighteen. Second Story Finding the Path, Losing the Path and Being Pathless I'm 25 years old and all I own is a backpack full of grey clothes that were once white or coloured. I've been travelling for several years when I fall into a jungle monastery in Sri Lanka called Kandaboda. I walk in with my ignorance clinging to me like a fat skin, my Western values jingling like a million bangles on my wrists and ears and legs and hips. I sit listening with my mind jangling so loudly I can't hear the silken silence held soft between thick, green, dark walls of jungle surrounding the monastery. But within days I know that I know nothing and so it begins. At 4am the bell rings. Meditation. We sit, silent. We stand, walk, sit, then eat salty porridge, silent. We walk, silent. We wash, we meditate. We eat, we walk, meditate. Meditate and meditate again. Then we sleep. At 4am the bell rings and we meditate again. A routine so familiar it becomes a second skin, tight around me, holding me together A routine so plain and unadorned, there is nowhere to go, nowhere to hide. The only contact I have with the world beyond myself is my talk each day with Big Bunte, head monk, my teacher. In a small white-walled room, I sit on the cool checked floor. He speaks to me through an interpreter. Big Bunte's words are sparse, but his eyes and heart are larger than the world, and I fall in. He brings me back to the path with Anicca Dukha Anata, always. Anicca Dukha Anata. Anicca Dukha Anata becomes my mantra. Each day I watch. I find wonder in the ordinary. My breath becomes my new friend. I get to know it intimately. Walking is a close encounter with the senses. One foot lifting... The other solid on the ground, gravel prickling, heel lifting, leg bending, soft fabric against skin, warm air on my face. I have never known walking before. And I meet my curious tongue and smile. I watch my mind and get lost in the tangle. The wolf with the yellow eyes comes to meet me and the rats are there too. Every mind is the same, Big Bante tells me. Only the contents differ because of our experience. And the way to free the mind is the same. I wait until the interpreter tells me his words. Anicca, Dukkha, Anatta need no interpretation. And he brings me back to the path again and again. Observe your thoughts as they arise and pass away, he says. Ha! Pass away nothing, I want to tell him. They stay. My brain is stuck. My mind chatters in my head, making it hard to hear what Bunte is saying. Don't give them your attention, he tells me. Come back to the breath. I don't believe him. Mine is a mad mind. If I don't battle with it, it must surely win. It always wins. It's a demon, I want to tell him, but I just sit and listen to Bunte's eyes. Monkey mind, he laughs. If you rage against it, the monkey gets madder. If you chase him, you will never catch him. Be gentle and he will settle and eat from your hand. He is your servant. I press my lips tight so I don't laugh out loud. I think I am his servant, Bunte. I say, and we both laugh. I sit and meditate, trying to remember his words and be gentle when the mad monkey grabs me and drags me off for minutes that are hours. I smile when I can, and slowly the monkey grows quieter and rolls over and lets me scratch his soft belly. And slowly like a small child's Christmas, understanding comes. Each morning I take my great insights to Bunte and excitedly explain what I have discovered, then wait fidgeting while the interpreter tells him, sure that she can never express the depth of my insight. He smiles and accepts my small gifts graciously, like a grandfather holding a child's small treasures, a dead beetle, a twig, a speckled leaf and lays them gently aside, calling me on into the great living forest of the Dharma. Then Big Bunte leaves on pilgrimage, and I am alone. I have another teacher, but he is not my teacher, and my mind and ego rebel. I go on alone and speak to no one. I cling to Anicca, Nietzsche, Dukkha, Anatta. Everything is meditation. In meditation, I am the sound of chopping and the mosquito buzzing. I am the warm breeze on my skin. Life breathes me, resting into each moment as it arrives. All my hard edges soften and dissolve the little self with all its stories of yesterday and tomorrow and what might be. And I watch. I come back to the gentle breath when I'm lost the breath breathing me. I watch with a child's curiosity, the breath moving through me, in and out and in and out, like soft waves kissing white sand, then slipping away in a gentle blush, only to return and kiss again the sweet white flesh. Then the breath dissolves too, and I open into the vastness where there are no boundaries. The bell sounds in me like a wide song across the Alps on a clear morning and the world vibrates with melody. The heart rocks my body in soft rhythm of bird wing in flight and I glide on a horizon of freedom beyond awake in every sense more awake than I've ever been. Nothing holds me. What had once bound me now frees me. Words melt in the vast silence. Thoughts crumple like leaves in autumn, blown before a wide and gentle wind. Sensations crawl like ants across my body. The vast space of my mind lights the darkening and I see beyond what I can grasp or name or understand, yet I know it all in my heart's opening. The moment stretches like an eternal fountain filling me, yet not me. Some might call it love, some God, but I have no words for this. To name it is like offering my filthy sandal at the foot of a great master. Instead, I prostrate myself and kiss the ground of being and watch in wordless wonder. Then I am done. It's time to go. The Sri Lankan authorities refuse to renew my visa yet another time. I think I know something and have attained something, but I can't see the spiritual pride swelling in me, bursting the gold buttons on the stained white vest of my spirituality. I leave the monastery. I leave and walk back into the world. Within days, I arrive back in India like a rabbit unskinned. India crowds in on me, my senses burning like needle points under too bright sun. The filth and stink of so much humanity after the silken silence of the monastery eat into me. Each day is acid, it stings and burns, my mind screams for silence, for space, my body wails for the gentleness of the jungle monastery. I have no words for the feelings that come with the experience of hate and rage that surge through me towards the dark-eyed men and women who touch or speak to me and want to haggle with me. Last week I loved the mosquito trying to bite into my skin and now I hate these people who won't leave me alone, who press in so close I can't breathe. Every sense shrieks and rages. I don't know what I want to eat, how to be, where to go. The dissolution of self has dissolved my desires. I stare down at my hand when I eat or feel the rupee lying sticky in my palm. But I can't find the meaning or any reason for these ordinary things. Despair blows in like tumbleweeds banking up against the old contours of my mind and fragments of ego blocking out the infinity that had been so close I could feel it in my skin and bones when I was in the monastery. I walk, then run from the sensory world crashing in on me. I whirl in circles and stand still, disoriented with nothing to guide me, nothing to hold on to. I am angry at everything including my real teacher who a week ago was my beloved, the Dharma, the Buddha and everything I've learned. I'm stripped and alone with my rage burning me. I go to sit in meditation wanting relief from my fierce mind and the bright memories of the vast stillness come so close I can almost taste them, touch them. But the almost is an abyss of longing that aches in my heart with a sorrow deep and wide as an ocean. I stop meditating and try to live in the world, but the old comforts and distractions of blame or disgust or arrogance and even food, the old stories, turn on me laughing. I writhe and twist like a blind snake, furiously flicking my tongue at the empty space. Inside, something cracks, I turn to grab hold of a scrap of certainty, but my mind closes around nothingness. The sea of dark eyes watches me. I hear them laughing behind me, and I turn quickly, but there's no one. I jump at shadows and call out through my dreams. I curse and rage until there is only shattered glass left inside me. Then I crawl into a room and lie there curled around myself, trying to keep out the world. I don't cry, I don't think, I feel nothing. The sounds from the street are far away, I'm underwater, deep down in a dark place where no one can reach me. I don't want to breathe, I don't want to live, and I don't care. A knocking floats through the deep cool ocean of silence. The knocking comes louder, and someone is calling from far off, but it's quiet and peaceful down here. Now someone is pulling me, dragging me up. Leave me alone, let me rest, go away, I say without words. Someone keeps tugging at me. I keep my eyes shut, but hands drag me away from the dark peace. My body moves without my permission, remembering some forgotten pull to survive, hiding beneath the skinless skin. I feel myself coming back. The hands on my arm are gentle and warm through the deep coldness. The voice is gentle too, calling, Rita, Rita, wake up. I can hear the words now. The darkness is clearing. I open my eyes to find dark eyes looking into mine. My teacher? Such kind eyes. I close them again, glad that my teacher is here. The tugging continues. I want to rest. I'm so tired, so tired. Come back, Rita. I open my eyes. Those black eyes are so close, they are all I can see. Rita, wake up. It's a man I've seen before. Rita, are you all right? The man is Indian. I'm in India. Everything rushes back in a flood of remembering. I blink. The man is still there in front of me. I was worried that you didn't come out for so long. Sorry for unlocking your door. Are you all right, Rita? Sorry for disturbing you, Rita. I was worried. He keeps saying my name. How does he know my name? My body moves me. Blinking, I raise my head. The man steps back. I feel alone without his warm hand on my arm. So I cling to the black eyes. My body is heavy and strange and he helps me sit up. He puts a pillow behind my head. Will I bring you chai, ma'am? He doesn't say my name now and I miss it. I nod. Wait here, I'll get chai. When he goes to the door, I see other dark eyes looking in at me. I feel my skinless humanity stinging with those stares and I watch my hands as if this is the first time I've seen them. The man closes the door as he leaves and now he's shooing them off those other eyes. He returns and stands watching me sip the milky sweet liquid. ''Sorry for disturbing you, ma'am,'' he says again. ''I was worried that you didn't come out for so long. His English is neat at the edges.'' It's okay, I croak, my voice unfamiliar. Thank you. I'll bring you some food. I'm not hungry. You must eat, ma'am. I'll bring you food. Okay, thanks. It's easier. For the next week, this short man with dark eyes and rice-white teeth feeds me. Thick yellow curries nestled in mounds of perfect white rice— Delicacies dripping in sweet syrup and rose water, clotted mountains of fresh yoghurt tangy on the tongue and sugary warm chai. And I eat my way back into the world. I pull up my tattered ego and move on again, the laughter and staring dark eyes watching from the doorway fading behind me. Weeks later, I'm in a Sri Aurobindo community near Pondicherry in southern India, In the round, clear days that follow, I come back to the ordinary. I work in the garden and cycle around the large community on a rusty bicycle that makes a rhythmical clacking sound as I pedal. I eat food plucked straight from the garden and walk the sandy paths alone. I sleep in a treehouse with a snake. The black plastic roofing sags with his weight above my head, as he curls into the comfort of himself each night. In the ordinary of every day, I pull on my skins. I step back into all the layers that had peeled away in the monastery. Skin after skin, I pull around me, wrapping myself into ego and curling into myself. I sew myself a misfit self, covering over the nothingness. The sting of the world grows less each day and each night I dream my skins in. When I finally get home to Australia, all my old habits rush up to meet me. From a distance, I had loved everyone and been free of old addictions. Now, up close, the old faceless demons of fear and loneliness, anger, aching hunger and desperation creep in and crawl under my skin, skulking into my bed and feeding on the scraps of tormented dreams that I toss and turn in every night. Within days of my return, I'm drinking and smoking again. And my old addictive habits in relationships have grown back like a cancer. Briefly, I struggle against it all. But soon I surrender as the old ways crash in around me, erupting over my life like a great wave. Always there's a voice in me, an arrogant voice mocking my ignorance and my stupidity, a voice that knows better than this, that remembers how to be free. So I drink another glass of wine to drown it out. I turn my back on what I knew in the jungle in Sri Lanka. I set off to university to study English and psychology and build myself a life and an ego in the traditional way to grow myself a career and learn how to live in the world. I'm 28. Third story, Into the Yellow Eyes of the Wolf. It's the end of October 1996. The first call comes as I'm about to walk out the door for a dentist appointment. Cursing, I drop my bag and run to beat the answering machine. Hello? It's my sister. Funny time for her to ring, the thought flashes past before my mind can grab it. Jim's missing. The words drop like rocks into my belly. I wait in silence, my breath narrow. Mum's worried, she said to ring you. Oh. She thinks something's wrong. Mmm. My thoughts won't move to form any words in my sticky throat. Gotta go, Reet. Talk soon. Let me know if there's any news, I say, words coming in a rush as if there's a wolf at their heels. Of course. I put down the phone, stare into the bright sky outside and shiver. Now I don't want to go to the dentist. My tongue runs over my teeth pushing into the familiar groove of rough tooth that's been niggling for weeks. I've already put off the dentist twice. I pick up my bag and pull the door shut behind me. Should I come home? I ask later on the phone to mum. Home is a six-hour drive. Wait, just wait, they say every time I ask the question. While the day is bright, I don't hear the wolf scratching but at night he's there again. I drink red wine and find an old packet of tobacco and roll thin dry cigarettes, smoking and coughing and gulping red wine from a giant tumbler. I talk to my friend on the phone. He's busy cropping five hours away. He says, wait, Jim's probably gone fishing. We laugh and he distracts me from the wolf for a while but then the world grows silent. I am alone, waiting. I pour another glass of red wine and spill some on the table, looking up quickly at the door for the sound. It's them scratching. The ferocious rats and the yellow-eyed wolf and the other nameless beasts have found me again. It's a long time since I've seen them, but there's the familiar rank smell of grey fur. I'm tired. But I don't want to sleep. The world sleeps and I wait. The wolf scratches to come in. I pull the curtains and lock the door. Other gone missings creep into my mind and I float around in old memories looking for signs, for hope, remembering times when Jim was found or never lost in the first place. Not this again, I can't do it, I can't, I can't do this again, Jim... Please come home. For mum's sake, come home, come home. A mantra slurred in a whisper into the night. The next morning I wake crumpled on the sofa and sniff the rank air, the stale red wine and cigarette butts before I open my eyes. My body lies in disarray like items of clothes strewn in drunken haste across the floor. I lie still waiting for my sluggish mind to catch up. Then memory crashes in and my eyes split open and look around. The phone sits unemployed on the table, surrounded by magazines and old post. My body is stiff and feels old, very old. My mouth tastes like grimy carpet on a pub floor on a Saturday morning before the cleaner has been. My tongue rests on the unfamiliar feel of new tooth, suspicious. Everything moves slowly. Light streams in when I open the curtains and I shut my eyes against the hurt. I waddled to the kitchen and put the kettle on, then go to the bathroom and piss the dark yellow of last night's toxicity. With my sunglasses on, I stand and look out the window sipping a cup of steaming tea that tastes like life. The phone rings loudly and I spill my tea. Hello? Breathless. It's my friend Jane. She will come this evening and stay the night. Thanks, Jane. See you then. My voice sounds surprisingly cheery. I shower, eat toast and Vegemite and drink more tea. The longest day has no seams. It is colourless and without contours, filled with grey moments that shift and slide into nothingness. I walk around the house searching but can't remember what I'm looking for. I read but words don't stick. I drink cold tea and eat warm salad. The mail comes and bills lie unopened on the table, sneering through their little windows. In the afternoon I walk on the beach and the grey-green waves melt into drizzling sky in one melancholy wet-on-wet. In the evening, Jane arrives. We light the lamps and sit on the back veranda, eating pasta and drinking beer while I tell stories of Jim, Jimmy, as we used to call him when we were kids. I lay out the happy contents of my kidhood, unpacking the small precious parcels of memory one at a time small intimate stories of yabbying and drinking homemade ginger beer after a swim in the channel, his love of fishing and the river, Jimmy always grinning, so that Jane will know him as I know him. I don't share the dark stories of his later years, clouded with dope smoke and drenched in alcohol, or talk about how he lost his smile somewhere along the way. The friendly night holds us tenderly in velvet darkness, washed clean by the afternoon rain. Finally, we turn out the lights and go to our beds. The ringing tears open the morning like a serrated knife edge, ripping me out of my dreams. My eyes snap open as remembering smashes in. I run for the phone, banging my shoulder against the bedroom door. Breathless, I hold the phone to my ear and listen, rubbing my shoulder. It's happened. My mother's voice is flat and matter of fact. The police have found Jim with his car. The local newspaper will read. No suspicious circumstances. So I drive home to bury my other brother. We lay him gently in warm red earth, five rows from his big brother, beneath the pine trees that whisper their lullaby to the wind. Earth, my home. There is one other thing that has shaped my life and my work and lives in me quietly as a deep current of peace and hope. That is, my home, the earth. I grew up close to the earth, a wide brown earth under a brimming sky that stretched through to heaven, holding the fat round sun that drenches freckled skin and streaks hair gold. I drink her in this earth through my senses, my skin and my small body. Her wonder so close it sings me awake each morning and holds me in gentle dreams each night. On bare-breasted summer mornings I can hear her heart beating in my skin. She is so close, her rhythm skipping in my legs. Leaping into cool flowing water on hot, hot Days in late summer when the world is shimmering under the big sun. Small sun-brown bodies jump and call out in joy. With a white strip of zinc on our upturned noses, we look like bronzed Aussie Indians screaming war cries of delight as we leap from the grassy bank. Big splash, we dive and duck and leap and splash until our teeth chatter in blue lips and our bellies growl and we feel the tug of home. I lie down on new-mown hay, sniffing her sweet breath. I lay my cheek to her breast, so close I hear the creaking of her bones, the rumble in her belly and the beat of her deep heart. Her big love lifts and carries me into bright daydreams, swinging in the white puff clouds where God is laughing. Her love pierces me and makes my heart big and round and fat like a ripe peach warm from the tree. Dad brings a steaming milk bucket home from the golden cow and we drink warm milk on our porridge. Sometimes I watch the milking. Dad's hands move like a drummer grabbing and stroking the teats, milk squirting into the silver bucket and making a happy white sound like a soft drum beating time in the morning mist. When I am alone, I pick a thick pod from the bush creeping up the trellis. My fingers push into the green line down the pod and it splits open to show five small round peas nestled in their little green boat. I pick one out and put it to my mouth, biting into the sweetness, the taste of the earth and the rain and the sun in its skin. I walk on her skin and find small miracles of lacy tracks in sand made by some tiny creature I can't see. Each tree is a map of the universe and I can read a whole story of far-off lands of giants, goddesses, dragons and knights in their daring rescuings. In her arms I can be whoever and whatever I want – and she holds me close to her skin and breathes her sweet breath into me and laughs and sings with my imaginings. When I am lonely or sad or have a fight with my sister, she hears me and dries my tears and shows me some small miracle to make me laugh. A small beetle on his back, and I help him up, or tracks of a tiny bird on the soft sand. She hears me when I'm scared and I don't know what to do. She holds me and listens to my sad song and sings with me until our harmonies make something new and bright and lovely. And now, every day, I walk with her and hear her beating heart through my feet. Her song is the song of my soul and her beauty the bright of my eye. She is my greatest love and lives in me and with me. My whole life until the day I will lie down in her and with her forever. My earth, my mother, my home. I won't refer back to these stories throughout the book or in session with Jack or Mary, because that is how it is in real life. Each of us carries our own pain hidden from the world, usually in the bottom drawer of our psyche which is why we need to tread gently in the presence of every human heart. Nor will I describe my journey through integration because that may suggest that my experience of integration is the right way. But every brain is different and therefore your journey through integration will be unique. My emergent experience of integration is embodied in I, brain Map and this book.